1: We have fun. This is a fun day. Um, one of my favorite authors, really, who can spark, ignite, create a buzz for creativity is with us. He's, we've never had the pleasure of him being with us before, but he is today. Justin Batat is an author of, I, I, I want to say really literally a gazillion books because that's what he has written. In that process, he is uh, a kid's delight, if you could imagine that, and that Justin has, I'm going to have him reel off a boatload of his books, um, so you know what some of them are, and we're going to go through them. But he's someone that has, over the past 12 years, has developed quite a platform for writing. And that speaking, he's inside of schools, literally the entire school will shut down, including in administration, if justice is on the campus. Uh, His speaking is focused for the enjoyment of reading, storytelling, and motivating the most from reluctant readers to pick up a book and now get lost in them. In other words, when they open them, they fall in. He's also on an anti-bullying crusade, so he'll talk about that a little bit, as he moves from school to school and assemblies within their classrooms. So, Justin, welcome to Author You.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Judith.
1: Yeah. Do you have a favorite book of all your books?
2: Oh, man. You know, you get that question at every school you go to. Um, yeah. Every one of them is like your kids. You can't pick a favorite. You like them all for different reasons, and you dislike them all for different reasons. Okay. Um for my picture books, I'd have to say that Old Lady Griselda has been um, what propelled me into um, national and a little bit of international um, fame, if you will. It's a, it's a story that I wrote about a woman that um, it was in the neighborhood I grew up, and I grew up in a country neighborhood, and there was a spooky lady that lived up on the hill. You know, every neighborhood has one of those, and right. my mom always yeah. said, if your neighborhood doesn't have one of those, you're that person. Um <laughs> but I was really in favor, and, and my dad challenged me to go meet her, and when I went up there, she had uh, me with favorite cookies that she had preordained as the mother. And then I just kind of fell in love with the lady. She was kooky and, and just wonderfully um, eccentric. And so her name was Katie Stroh, <clears throat> but when I was telling my son's bedtime stories, I would always tell them stories about her, and they'd always want another one, and make it creepier, and make her weirder, and... And um, finally, I realized this is striking a chord with my own kids. It might strike a chord with other kids. So I wrote O Lady Griselda and um, partnered with just an amazing designer, illustrator named John Woods Jr., and he um, just brought her to life. And so that, you know, that was published in 1998, and um, it's still selling really well um, on all platforms. So she may be my favorite just because she kind of put the legs under me to be able to write for children.
1: Maybe help gave you the courage that you could, too. I mean, you you had yeah. that connecting factor, right? Well, I I have to tell you, one of my favorites was your, your you know, uh, When I Was a Boy and, you know, the When I Was a Girl. I loved those books. I remember buying them for my grandkids. All my grandkids got all your books <laughs> as we went along in the process. um,
2: Yeah, the When I Was a Boy I Dreamed, When I Was a Girl I Dreamed, um, they were illustrated by Mark Lutie, who is, he has a very big following. he's a very, very Mm -hmm. talented man. And um, he and I were, we were sitting in a bookshop up in Boulder and uh, Mm -hmm. we were at an evening event and we were sitting next to each other, didn't know each other. And when he would engage um, a young kid, he'd, uh, and, and they were telling them, telling him about them um, like they, you know, like soccer, and they had a dog. He would basically them ask what kind of dog, and then they tell him, and he'd draw the dog. And he's one of those people that's just spontaneously able to create. And while he was doing that, I was over there writing poetry. I was writing like four to eight line poems about what he was doing. And um, he noticed that, and he he leaned over and he said, "What a uh, What are you doing over there?" I said, "Well, I'm listening to you, and I'm drawing what you're. I mean, I'm I'm writing what you're drawing." And um, then we kind of gathered a crowd. People were coming around and watching the two of us, and, and they said, why are you guys not doing books together? And he looked at me and goes, why aren't we doing books together? And I said, well, I think we are now. And so we met the next week and started When I Was a Boy I Dreamed. And and that book came out, and it, it got super popular. I think um, the last he told me was look, over a quarter million in print. And um, so, of course, the world kind of demanded, what about When I Was a Girl I Dreamed? So we started working on that, and I just started asking girls and teachers and my wife and women in my life questions about what they dreamt about as a child. and um, mm-hmm. then that book came out, and that book's like twice as more twice more popular than the boy book because grandma was was are, are the ones that, so. mm.
1: well, i if if you have uh, let's see, that's the book with the tree house in it, isn't it? that you've yeah. got the tree yeah. yeah i I loved the imagination, the creativity that um, I don't know if it was all the illustrator or if you had your hands in that as that was developed, but gee, I, I just think it's an amazing illustration. Uh, for oh, all you listeners, just go bo, go buy these books so you can see them um, and what happens. So let, let's just jump into the creative process. So how do you, you know, you met this guy at a coffee shop <laughs> kind of thing. Um, right, so... Right. Oh where does this creative process really start? How do you work with other designers and editors and illustrators? I mean, you, you have more than one that you work with. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. I've worked with seven different illustrators um, for being my older son. He illustrated two of do my books and we designed them together. And they were books that we designed for children with dyslexia and perceptual difficulties. And they're all um, told from the viewpoint of a dog, which is very popular and so he started doing the first book when he was in elementary school, and um, now he's got three kids of his own, and um, I'm working on the third book, and hopefully he can illustrate that as well. But, um, so my process basically, is: um, I get an idea, and I, I generally get an idea when I'm either skiing or running or doing something active. I've actually had complete books download into my head while I'm out running, and um, it's just it's a magical time to create, and then of course you have to figure out how do I get that from my brain to the paper. And I've made the mistake early on of not ever having something to record it. And then when I got home, I just couldn't remember why I thought it was so magical. So now I always go equipped. Um, I've got a little pocket notebook and pencil, and or my phone. I just dictate, and then uh, let that idea just kind of percolate, and then step away from it for a couple of days and then come back to it. And if it still seems to have the merit that it did when I came up with it spontaneously, then I write it. You know, I think it's just, I, I that going to do the editing and rewriting. And, um, I, I always tell kids in schools, if you want to be a published author, you're going to have to write that book 50 times, more than likely, um, until you finally, you know, get magic in your craft, and then you'll get down to 20. And um, I finally am down to about 25 drafts before I ever submit it to my agent or an illustrator, an editor, or anyone.
1: Well, that's what uh, I think all all authors actually need to hear is that they, my experience is so many think, okay, I've done it, you know, uh, it's ready to go to layout, and they don't understand the continual fine tuning, the continual rewriting, the continual tweaking. And I'm not so much talking about the where your your drive for perfection is going to turn into a, a full blown procrastination thing. I'm just saying. I I have never seen anything come out perfecto the first time it's done, and I suspect you haven't either.
2: No, no, not even close. And um, I was very fortunate. I was I was adopted and raised by two English professors, and um, my dad was a PhD, kind of an egghead guy, um, super smart. Um, he he wrote about five novels and. <clears throat> never got published. And he always said, every, every agent I talked to tells me my books are, um, you know, they're, they're too profound for the common reader and they're too common for the profound reader. Um, but I've read his work and he was very, very good, but he was, he was such a great teacher to me. Um, when I got out of college, I got a, old and um, it had a, like a thermal roll print and, um, so I got that for graduating from college from someone and I uh, decided in a year within a year, I'm going to write my first novel and um, so the practice of that was you have to write something every day and um, so my my goal was always three to five pages a day and um, so I wrote this book and it was you know very sophomoric and um, I was living down in Austin, Texas, and my dad was up in Fort Collins where I grew up and um, so I was so excited to send my dad the manuscript. So I printed it all off and I sent it to him and, um, you know, I was expecting just amazing things like, you know, I'm the next John Grisham or something. And and I didn't, I didn't <laughs> yeah. hear from my dad. And um, so like two or three weeks passed by and I thought, well, he's, he's super busy. I think it was during finals and so he's grading papers. And so I waited and about a month later, I was like, okay, I can't wait any longer. So I called him and I said, Hey dad, um, do you get a chance to read my manuscript? And there was a really long pause, and he said, "Um, I got a chance to read the first 10 pages I could. And I said, Dad, it's 373 pages. What do you mean you couldn't go? And he goes, Justin, this is not how you tell stories. This is not great. And I said, well, what Uh do you mean? And my main character's name is Ryan. What did Ryan have for lunch today? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, what did Ryan eat for lunch today is my question. I said, Ah,
1: Ryan doesn't uh,
2: Ryan doesn't eat. He's not real. He says that's exactly the problem with Ryan.
1: All right, let's hold that. We'll be right back with this is Justin (laughs) Matad.
0: this is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles and we'll be right back with more great information right after these
3: is there a book in you or another author you shows you how to create develop and publish your book without being hoodwinked if you already have a book out you will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative no matter where you live author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual author U extravaganza it has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics through author U's extensive network Members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. AuthorU is the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, AuthorU is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms and it is free. Discover AuthorU, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join AuthorU today at AuthorU.org.
0: Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book. If you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Briles.
1: With me is Justice Matat today, and he is a beloved children's author. He has written literally a gazillion books and we'll get into some of these whether we're talking about aliens or uh dogs being nerds or we're going to get into his gabe series and i and justin you have to tell us about the boo-boo that happened where some pages were missing and how you fixed it as the author i mean, rem- i'll <laughs> never forget that story when you told me that but let's go back to dad and what ryan ate and what was missing because I know where you're going, I think maybe our listeners maybe, but it's really important to understand what what happened here. Yeah, so, he, uh,
2: so I, he asked me, so what did Ryan have for lunch today? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I asked you a question, what did Ryan have for lunch? And I said, Dad, Ryan's not real, he doesn't eat. He says, and that's the problem with Ryan. If you don't believe in Ryan, I can't believe in Ryan. And as a reader, he doesn't make any sense to me at all. You need to go back and write that from your heart and your head and let your characters become three-dimensional and real as though they're people you know. And um, I said, so so, Dad, if I just fix Ryan, is that is that going to be... I mean, if I if I make you believe in Ryan, then the book's still okay? He says, no, you need to do a complete rewrite on that entire book because I've heard you tell stories. You need to write the way you tell stories. So if you need to dictate it into a recorder, then do it mm-hmm. that way. Not everybody has to use a pen and pencil or a computer. You know, and, and so I thought, well, that's an interesting way to think about it. So I got one of those little mini-recorders, and I started um, doing chapter by chapter. And um, I bought my dad one of the same recorders so I could just send him the recorder and the tapes. And I sent it up to him. I sent him like three chapters that I had redone. And um, he called me in two days, and he said, Justin, this is your book. This oh. is wonderful. This is how you tell stories. But you always need to tell stories the way... You tell them to an audience, mm-hmm. and I thought so. So now sometimes, because I, I have an office in my home, I uh, sometimes if you were to like eat, drop on me, I'd be telling one of my stories to my dog Butters, and she would be really enjoying it. But you'd be thinking I was because I was telling a dog a story. But just you know, whatever it is that gets somebody to bring their authentic voice out. Um, and, and, you know, and I had some coaching from my first agent. He was a just a brilliant man from Belgium, and he had, he'd been with Random House as a senior editor for many years and then broke off into agency. And I sent him three novels for adults that I had written, and I made the mistake, and, and I really hope people hear this, I made the mistake of, in my cover letter, saying, what you're holding in your hands is potentially the next John Grisham. And, um, you know, the world yeah. doesn't need another John Grisham. Mm-hmm. And so I'm writing these thriller books with no experience in thriller stuff and um, sent me very, very nice um, rejection letters. He sent me three rejection letters and the third one was just on point. He said, Mr. Matot, I love the way you tell stories and when you if you ever find your story, your authentic story that comes from your head and your heart, which is what my dad always said, I would love to read that. But until then... I'm going to have to defer you to someone else because I can't, I can't take this to anyone. And I actually framed that rejection letter because it was the most polite, nice, you know, complimentary rejection I've ever had. Um, And I framed it and put it on my desk and I looked at it every time I started to write, you know, and took his advice. And um, I ended up writing this book called My Garden Visits. And I didn't know it was a book when I was writing it because um, it was, I had lost my mom when I was in my twenties and, and it was just my way of grieving and, and just kind of getting, expressing myself. You know, my dad used to say, when you feel sick, you throw up. So when you feel heart sick, throw up on a piece of paper. And um, so I started writing <laughs> this information. I love
1: that.
2: <laughs> And um, pretty soon I had this book forming. And, and my brother-in-law was out um, working at Paramount Pictures. And um, he said, what are you working on? I said, oh, I'm writing this. I, I didn't know it was a book. It was just a journaling thing. And he said, well, send me some, I want to read it. And so I sent it to him and he said, you finally found your book. This is it. And I said, do you really think so? And anyway, so one story led to another. And, and um, then I, one of my, one of the people that worked for me, we were driving to one of my clients and I was telling him about the book and he says, Oh my gosh, my wife is such an amazing watercolor. She would love to illustrate something like that if it's going to be illustrated. And I said, Oh, I've always thought it would be. And you know, since I've conceived it as a book and so they came over for dinner and I gave her two chapters to read and she went into my office and closed the door and, you know, we're sitting around the dinner table and uh, she came out and she was crying and she said, Oh my gosh, I can see this book. And um, so we made an agreement um, that we would just split whatever we did 50, 50. And she went to work and made these beautiful watercolors and designed this gorgeous little book. And there was like 115 pages and um, I didn't want to go through the whole process of being turned down by agents, so I self-published it, and um, I, w- I had no idea what to do. So I self-published five thousand copies, unknown author, nobody knows who I am. And um, <laughs> but I was a sales guy for a big telecommunications company, so I knew how to you know engage people and get them interested. And so three weeks later, forty-seven hundred copies were gone, and um, the battered cover was calling me and saying how many of your friends have you sent down here? We've already sold 300 books. and Because their, their first order, they were going to order four, and I convinced them to order 50 so that I could tell everybody else that the tattered cover had ordered 50. And um, so then I went back to that agent, and because uh, I, I got a call from HarperCollins San, Fr- San Francisco Division um, with what they call a floor offer for the book. They wanted to republish it. And so I asked her, what would you do if you were me? She goes, I would get an agent because I think this is going to be a big book. And, So I left a message on a machine and told him, I've got a floor offer of X amount for this book, and I published 5,000 copies, 4,700 are gone, and I've got another order for 200. Um, So I need help. I I need to know what to do with this book. So um, long story short, he got me three copies. um, Give me an exclusive. Don't talk to any other agents while I'm reading it. Just give me that. And I said, (laughs) who would I talk to? But um, So... Two weeks later, I was in New York, and he took me to 12 publishers. And two weeks after that, we had a two-day auction, and Random House got the book and republished it and bought up a sequel. And then the rest was history. I quit my job, and and that was in 1996. So I've been a full-time author, speaker ever since. So it's well, possible if anybody can do it.
1: It is. So you've, you've gone down both paths, the self-published, path and the being with the big boys path and mm-hmm. um and i think what my my history with you is you've actually done both of them at the same time at times with different yeah. books is that correct
2: right yes that is correct i'm doing that right now
1: you're doing it right now because i think authors want to hear about that i i have a lot of people who will come to be saying you know they really want to publish with new york and so i always refer okay that's plan a and what is your plan b what, what if New York doesn't pick it up? What's your plan B? And mm-hmm. they sometimes they don't want to think about that. And I said, you need to think about that. I mean, because, Absolutely. Be, because not everyone gets picked up and the odds are not high. So, and I, I think one of the things that your plus was, I mean, you're incredibly creative. You're, you're, a, you're a wonderful storyteller. So the story's there, but you also know how to sell. And you now do the marketing. And, of course, that's a critical ingredient with anyone today in the year 2021. If they're going to try to sell to New York, they have got to have a marketing um, chutzpah and the pushing forward. Would you agree?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I people engage me all the time like they do you about, you know, a manuscript they've written. And, you know, the first thing I say, and generally I can see the discouragement on their faces, but... I said, the bottom line is this, if you have not rewritten this manuscript at least 15 times, don't even bother to submit it to anyone. And, you know, because, I mean, the bo- the bottom line is people, like this agent that I met with, he lived in Connecticut, and I was in his office, and he had a stack of paper, like, I mean, stack of papers, probably three feet high, lining his entire office, which was a large office. And I asked him, what are all those manuscripts? And he says, that's two weeks of, Submissions from people. I said, mm-hmm. "How do you ever select authors to represent?" He said, "Well, I have three readers. They read the first five pages. If it hooks them, they put it into the maybe pile. If if they send that to the next reader and that hooks them, it goes into the next maybe pile. And you know, just a thousand manuscripts that I get a month, I probably have three that I would even contact anybody on. And I said, what, you know?' And and so we we you know we had a lot of time. I was there for three days, and I said." You know, so what is one of the biggest criteria that prevents you from representing someone? And he says, I can always tell when people aren't willing to put the work in. Um, they haven't edited. And he says, you know, frankly, a couple of the things that you submitted to me, I just went back and read one of them, and I don't think you ever rewrote that. And I guilty as charged. I real, I wrote it twice. And he said, yeah, that should, probably should have been 20 before you ever submitted it to me because I don't have time to wade through editorial problems, and you know, little things like using the wrong year. You know. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and I I think that, that, so anyway, so going back to, you know, people that address this and they'll ask me, you know, so what should I do with my manuscript? Okay. So now you've rewritten it 20 times. You're probably ready to show it to someone. Um, now let me ask you a question. You're meeting me here. I'm at a farmer's market, hawking my books. Um, and so could you do this? Could you be on the other side of the table, pushing your book in people's hands? Oh no, no way. I said, then don't self-publish because no one's going to do that for you. Um, You know, I've had two catastrophic um, events in my self-publishing world with distributors, because you think a distributor is nirvana. They're going to get you all over the world and stuff. They depend on you to push it and to sell it. They don't do that for you. They just warehouse the books and take a percentage. And um, so, I mean, that can can be a real trap for people if they've got a lot of money invested in their book. Um, So if you can't sell... And if you're not willing to do the hard work to make the book sellable, um, you know, my, my what I always tell people is your book should be a book that could sit on the shelf next to a New York Times bestseller, have a wonderful cov- cover, copy, um, you know, great illustrations, um, you know, have, have that appeal that makes somebody walk up and pick that book up off the shelf, you um, and, you know, and people will say, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't want to put a, a jacket on it 'cause because that's another 10 cents a book. And I'm like, oh. you are, come <laughs> on, you are tripping over pennies. Um, because if you don't put it on there, it's not going to look like the books that people are used to. Um, yeah. And I, I guess one of the things, if somebody's self-publishing, and I, I love self-publishing because you have a complete handle on what happens to that book, mm-hmm. um, whether whether it's good or bad. and um, mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, I lot of people say, okay, so here's the thing. I've got a budget, and I'm only going to be able to do 200 copies. And my question to them is, was it professionally edited? Well, my husband read it. No, no, no. Is your husband a professional editor? Well, no, but, you know, he took a lot of English in college. When did he graduate? 20 years ago. That's not an editor. Spend the money on someone who can actually do copy editing and, and give you, you know, content editing um, because, you know, there's, like Random House has, you know, 250 people, but that's all they do to make those books shine. Um, well, I can't do that. It's going to cost me $100. If you oh.
1: spend
2: that $200 on it, you're not going to have a book that publishes.
1: All right. Um, I, I want you to hold on this right now because we're going to take another break and come back to it. You are echoing, echoing the conversations I go through every day every day and what i like about the independent publishing mode is there is control total control input but you have to have the time energy and yes the money to invest in it to make it shine and compare with new york we'll be right back
0: This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these.
3: Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Bryles Unplugged events. Each summer, Judith Bryles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event.
4: Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at TogiNet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcast. The subjects our podcast cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching to military resources to business success, even to the paranormal, we have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com.
0: Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles.
1: With me is Jason Matat. He has written uh, written for kids. He has specialized in that kids' market. He's done chapter books. Uh, picture books. And and Jason, before we continue on, why don't you um, just share a little bit about each, each, some of the books that seem the kids resonate when you're with them.
2: Okay. And Judith, you're doing the most common thing with my name. You called me Jason twice and I'm Justin. I said Jason, Um, Justin. (laughs) Everyone does. I have a, I have a very funny story. I'll tell very quickly about that. I was at a, a big um, Cal conference up in Keystone, where it's a Colorado Association of Librarians, and I was the keynote for the lunch. And um, the lady that was going to introduce me came up to me like two minutes before I was getting up there, and she said, you need to tell me some things about you. And I said, you know what? Just make anything up, and I'll live up to it. And she said, okay. I said, okay. So she gets up to the microphone, and, you know, most of these librarians have had me in their schools. They know me. So she gets up, and she says, I have never been more honored to introduce somebody because this is a very, very personal friend of mine. We've known each other for many, many years, and we've gone through many things together. And, you know, I mean, I just feel like, you know, I know this guy so well. So it's just so exciting to be able to, and that's the first time I ever met her. And um, so I'm so excited to introduce him to you. She All this superfluous stuff that she was reading off this script. And then she said, so ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute honor to introduce you to Jason McTodd and I looked oh, at her and is... was like whoa right, she... and so she, I got up there to the microphone and I said you know ladies and gentlemen here's the thing you know Betsy and I have known each other for so long she's the only one in the world that knows my secret pen name and now you all know it so Jason McTodd if you see a book under Jason McTodd that's me it's been uncovered but all of you know me as Justin McTodd and she looked at me and she turned so red and um She came up and apologized later. I said, no, that was actually really funny. And everybody thought it was funny. And I think I covered pretty well. I think people really think I have a pen name now. So I'm going to have to start writing under Jason McTon. Anyway.
1: You can do do romance novels or something with a twist. (laughs) Get fun on the cover. Yeah, romance novels for the teen set. There you go, Justin. You (laughs) can really roll it in. All right. So we were were talking about some kind. I, I think maybe it's a um, especially newbie, newbie authors can become really, uh, delusional in what they think their books are, where they can go, how many will sell. Um, I, 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 know I, I have told them how many do you, how many books do you think sell a million copies every year? And you know, they come through the list. I said, who do you think sold a million copies? And you know, okay, Obama did last year, right? Obama did last year. Who else sold a million copies? Two of the million. There was only five that sold a million copies last year. Two of them were for kiddos. One was for how to teach your kids how to write. Did you know that, Justin? I didn't know that. Okay, so one was the t- because of COVID. Because of yep. COVID, they're stuck at home. So, but they have these this you know, illusion that they're going to be a million bookseller. Now you've sold over a million books. um, And that your the kids when you show up, maybe you should talk about your strategy of how you sell books in schools. Maybe you should share some of those tips um, and and, on doing that, but that you've sold well over a million books. And have you ever looked at how many have come from publishers versus you're back of the room, you're from the car, you're from your website sales.
2: You know, I I just had to do a quick estimate. And the thing is, I have sold over a million books over the course of 23 years. Um, so that's that's a long time. And that's, you know, I think I'm a little over 50 books now in print. Um, but, you know, I, I think the thing is, is, way, like for me, when, when it, I went I. I sold Lady Griselda to Random House because I thought it was going to be a slam dunk because they had just signed me to a really great deal, and they said, "Well, we'll defer this to our children's division." And when they did, um, they came back and they said, "We love the story. We want to use a different illustrator." And I said, "No, we're not going to use a different illustrator. This guy, I've promised him that he's going to illustrate these books." And and um, they said, "Well, you know, that's not up to you." And I said, "I think it is." And then they offered me um, a fairly low amount of money for it, um, and then they would have complete, you know, leverage and ability to do anything they wanted with it, including taking out, you know, this awesome illustration. And, mm-hmm. um, so I just said, no, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, that book is, you know, probably 250,000 in print. Um, uh, mm-hmm. children's book. 98. Um, but the, the thing is, is, um, that only sold because I loaded up my vehicle cause I self published that book. And I, I, my first printing on all Lady good was 10,000 because I was getting a good name out there in the adult market. And, um, but what I would do is I would just, um, I'd, I'd make myself, like I always did in the corporate world, I would make myself a quota, and I have to sell a 1,000 books a month um, to be able to, you know, justify this being my full-time occupation.
3: Mm-hmm. And that,
2: that meant that, I mean, Don Woods and I literally one day we were down on a street in downtown Denver with a stack of Old Lady Griselda, and he was drawing in them, and I was engaging people saying, you know, if you're willing to buy this, I'll oh, put whoever's your kid's name write a four-line poem for him, and he'll draw it for you. And, and um, you know, we we sold, like, four cases of books in a lunchtime. Um, and so that's why I do farmer's markets every season. I, I love doing that because I, I get to engage my my actual readers. And my favorite thing is when a mom or a grandma will bring these kids up, and, like, one kid is really enthusiastic, oh, you came to our school, you're so funny, or you're so weird, or whatever they say. And then, you know, the reluctant brother or reluctant sister who's banning you know, over on the side, and I say, uh, don't you want to look at my books? I don't like to read. Why don't you like to read? Because it's boring. Well, why is it boring? It just is. My teacher makes me read books I don't want to read. I said, well, what kind of books do you like to read? So when they tell me, I'll say, okay, I don't have anything like that, but try this guy, this or this lady. I mean, these books are so awesome, Um, but if I do have something that I think is going to um, entice them, like I had this one girl, she was in fifth grade, and She was there with her brother, and they were twins, and her brother was so excited to meet me because I'd been to their school. And she was very nice, but she said, I don't like reading at all. And I said, why not? And she said, well, I struggle with reading. I said, what's your struggle? And she said, well, they've diagnosed me as dyslexic. I said, oh my gosh, I have three books that I designed for children with dyslexia because one of my brothers is very dyslexic. I'll tell you what, if you don't like reading, I don't want your mom to buy this book, but I do want you to take this book home, come back and see me next weekend, and tell me what you thought about it. Are you serious? And I said, yeah, I do. I I am serious. So I gave her all three books, and I packed her off with her brother, who got the whole series of Gabe's books. And and, um, they came back the next weekend, and Mom said, okay, she wants more of these books. She had so much fun reading them. She took them to summer camp with her, and she was actually reading them to a friend in their tent. And um, since then, that was like six years ago, every summer since in Highlands Ranch where I live, at the farmer's market, she'll come back to see me. And this last time I saw her, she said, "Well, I've kind of outgrown your books now." I said, "Well, you really haven't, because I have a series coming out for high schoolers." And, um, but you know, I just think there's there's a, an engagement of the individual. Um, my my, the best boss I ever had used to say, "You never sell to a corporation; you always sell to a person." Think
3: mm-hmm.
2: like just like you, you know, they have their mm-hmm. likes, their dislikes, and don't try to sell them something they don't need. Try to sell them something that they'll really want because then they'll always come back to you, and um, and I, I think you know like a lot of people have a distaste in their mouth about selling books. You know why yes, would you they not do. You're just selling ideas? You're selling yep, ideas. they do.
1: Okay. They do. Um, and it, or it's for for us nonfiction. I don't you know I don't have the creative juice genius you have for these stories that you come up with. But you know I I solve problems and pain with the nonfiction things I write about and it's still you have to still engage them them, storytelling bring them along and and you have to be a really good listener so you can pick stuff up I I think that's always uh, been essential so I'm going to come back Justin I have to come back to questions so when you've kind of crunched your numbers like you know old lady Griselda quarter of a million books that's a wowza so you know, what would you say? Is it an even split between what you've done with New York houses and what you've done on your own, or is it is it lopsided?
2: I think at this point, this many years later, I've probably sold sixty um, percent of the books that have sold are books that I have published myself. Um, the, one of the illustrators, Mark Loody, who does the Dream books, he also co-publishes those books, so he mm-hmm. got them into. Um, Books Are Fun, which is part of Reader's Digest. Division. Oh, they Books Are school. Fun are
1: great, yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's how those both went over a quarter million in sales, because they went all over Canada and any English-speaking country. And they're actually um, produced in Spain as well, so they're in Spanish. And, wow. um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, that's one thing, you know, Mark Ludy as an illustrator is a real engager. And, you know, I mean, he is a hustler. I've never seen an illustrator that hustles the way he does. And... You know, I think, Judith, one of the things that goes to the creative person is quite often um, authors, illustrators, designers, people that I meet in this business um, are real introverts. And um, mm-hmm. so it's very difficult for them to engage people. They they expose themselves to stories, to illustrations, and they don't want to get up and talk in the microphone. It terrifies them. And they shouldn't because, you know that's, you know, I've seen a few authors that did the school gig because they got paid, but they shouldn't have done it because they disillusioned more kids with the, you know, the boring storytelling. Um, you know, yeah. we need to stay in our strengths. I mean, we need to, we need to really focus on our strengths and, and not try to be somebody we're not. And, um, you know, I'm such a an extrovert that when I get a microphone in my hand, you know, I actually have to have, you know, sometimes when I'm in an assembly, which is, you know, schools are very regulated on the time and, so I get like 45 minutes for the assembly, 15 minutes for questions, and you know, at an hour five, you know, I've got the principal standing there tapping her watch, and I'm like, okay, I got, I got to pull the plug here. Oh. Um,
3: but
1: <laughs> I've seen you on the platform. I know what you're like, and it's just, <laughs> it's just this, this this huge amount of energy that blows out. And and when I've seen kids, I mean, I can see them starting to creep forward. Okay, we can get closer to him. We'll get closer to him. We're going to have fun. This is party time. Justin's here, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. All right. So with us is Justin Matad. He has got a gazillion books. And Justin, my, my deal is, I, I've sold a billion books too. The 37 books, 95% are on my own. Ninety five percent. And and I've had 18 of those suckers with New York. So there you go. All right. We're going to be right back. It's author you, your guide to book publishing. We're talking about creativity and being successful with it. With me is Justin Matott, and we're really talking about creativity. He is an author of so many books designed for kids of a variety of ages. There's chapter books. There are picture books. They are beautiful. I would just tell all of you, go to your favorite bookstore and just say whatever you have of Justin's, and it's M-A-T-O-T-T, double T at the end. Just get it. So use it as a learning guide to how to how to how to work a book, how to lay it out, how to let the story roll out. All of you who are writing children's books, this is a, really the, a guide, a coach, uh, a virtual mentor that you can jump on board with. Justin, you have to tell the story. We were just talking promo. Um, on He had this great idea, and he was stopped by the publisher because it wasn't their idea. And it made me laugh out loud because that's the way people think. So, Justin, share that very quickly. And then let's jump into uh, opportunities via the Internet, which probably you should avoid, as well as common mistakes we want you to stay away from. Okay. Well, first of
2: all, I'll tell all your listeners that um, I am moving my warehouse. Um, I have somewhere in the neighborhood of 75,000 books in my warehouse right now, and we're going to move it. So I'm trying not to move it to the new warehouse. So I'm going to be... Um, changing up on my website, which is com, And there's going to be a minimum of 25% off of every book. And it can go as high as 50% off. And there's points and um, there's going to be prizes and all kinds of stuff. Cause we're really trying to um, eliminate having to have somebody come and, and move all these books. So um, that's going to happen within the next couple of weeks. Um, and that's going to go through, I think April or May. So, okay. okay so we were talking about um, the, uh, the little thing that happened with random house. I had, um, my first book with them came out and they, um, their first printing of it was 125,000, which is extraordinary for an unknown author, but they really Mm -hmm. believed in it because they saw me sell 4,700 copies out of the back of my vehicle. And so they brought out 125,000 copies of it. And then they went to a second printing. And, um, so the book was doing very, very well. Um, they didn't really know how to categorize it, and that was one of the biggest problems they had with the book. They kept putting it in the wrong place in bookstores, but people kept finding it. Um, and so, I decided I was going to get on a national television show. And um, so, I was talking to the the um, promotions rep out in California and asked what you know what was their goal. What did they see getting on? And they said, "Well, we're working on it, but these things take time." And my brother-in-law worked on at Paramount Pictures, and so um, I went out to stay with him for a couple weeks. And I was on the Paramount lot with him, and he said, "So, tell me about the books." So I was telling him about what was going on with the book and how Random House had brought it back out in a nice, beautiful hardcover. And and um, he said, "So, what's your next plan?" I said, "Well, I've got to get a national show to carry it, so that you know it's got the promotion to go into all the bookstores." and and um, I said, do you have anybody here at Paramount that would be like that? And he said, well, you know, Lisa Gibbons is a great afternoon talk show host, and um, she's probably somebody that could really push the book. And so I I never tell short stories. I always say long story short, but it's not. Um, So I went in, um, and he said, no, no, you can't go in there. I'll get fired. And I said, no, I'm not going to ever use your name. And, you know, if I get kicked off the lot, they don't know how I got on the lot. And I always, and I tell every author this, no matter where you go, at least you, because you never know who you're going to meet. I met Bing Crosby because my brother knew, I mean, not Bing Crosby, I met Bill Cosby, which was before all of the scandal um, Mm -hmm. because my brother knew him. And he was on the way to Chicago to be on the Oprah show. So I gave him three copies of A Lady Griselda. Um, Nothing ever came of it, but Bill liked it. so always have three copies of your book. So I walked into the Lisa Gibbons um, office, and and the receptionist stopped me, and she said, "What are you doing here?" I said, "Well, I want to talk to Lisa Gibbons." She goes, "Do you have an appointment?" I said, "No, I just am vacationing from Colorado." And she goes, "That's not how this works." And I said, "Well, you know, Lisa seems like a really engaging person. I just like to meet her." And so um, she said, "Well, sir, I can't let you meet her. She's you know going to be taping in an hour, and uh, she's busy right now." And I said, "Okay, could I leave something for her?" And so anyway, I had three copies, and, and I said, by the way, what's your name? And she told me her name, and so I signed it to her, and I said, you know, I hope you enjoy this book. It's my new one, and um, I just, you know, would really love you to read it and hope you enjoy it. And so then all of a sudden, Lisa Gibbons came around, and she said, what is this all about? And I said, oh my gosh, I do get to meet you. I said, okay, well, I'm just here really quickly. I won't take any of your time. Here's a book. I wrote it, and I just wanted you to have this book, and, and um, that's all. I just wanted to see if it was something that you'd like. So about a month later, Lisa Gibbons called me personally and said, um, Hey, Justin, I was on my way to a family vacation. I took your book with me. I read it twice on the beach. I love the book. I want you on my show. So I called, I was so excited to call the promotions people at Random House and tell them what happened. And they chewed me out. said, you can't do that. Um, you know, what if we would have gotten you on Oprah instead? (laughs) A bird in the hand here. Um, so, um, they got mad at me and I said, well, then you probably don't want to know the next step. I'm going to buy an RV and travel all over the country, and I'm going to order about 10,000 copies of your books and I'm going to have them with me, and I'm going to go from bookstore to bookstore. No, nope, you can't do that. I, we forbid you to do that. We'll have to cancel your contract if you do something like that. And I'm like, you don't want me to sell 10,000 copies of this book that way? So anyway, um, that was when I really kind of got disenfranchised with the big, you know, you have to be with New York because nobody tells me I can't get an RV and travel with my books. And, um, you know, I've been to like 30 States promoting my books on my own. And, you know, Judith, you know, this better than anyone that sells Mm -hmm. a lot of books. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And it also, Mm -hmm. you know, most people like you go to the Jersey bookstore, they don't know who I am. You go anywhere in Colorado. They know you go anywhere in this region. They know because this is the region I live in and go to schools in. And, um, but you know, it's just how small do you want your world to stay? Um, so anyway, I just I think you know self publishing is not for the faint of heart, but it's for people who really can engage, handshake, you know, get people engaged with their um, projects. Um, so if you have that ability, I absolutely encourage you to publish a book, but make sure you do all the things to make it the best book it can be. Uh, uh, uh,
1: that would be an amen. Okay, so what are some of the common mistakes that we want them to? Um, but One is you, you can't hide. You got to come out, and you have to be. Well, I always say this, Justin, that you've got to evolve from being the CWO, the Chief Writing Officer, to the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer. That is your job. Absolutely.
2: And doubt that, the book is going to be in your garage, or your basement, or your bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and most of the people that I meet that have self published, they still have just an enormous amount of books. After public, you know, after three years, they still have, you know, I had one guy tell me, our barn is full of our kids' books because he just doesn't know how to sell them. Well, then why do you keep printing them? Um, but, you know, and so the thing <laughs> is, is you know, an, an author who can't do that, then engage someone who can, that believes strongly in what it is that your book is about, and get them out in front of you. I mean, that, you know, that's why I was a, a marketing corporate guy, because that's what I got my background in, and, and so that's why... You know, telecommunications companies hired me because that was my expertise, but a technical person couldn't have done that and I couldn't have done the technical job. So stay in your strengths or find someone who has those strengths. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that's very interesting with the Internet now, because the Internet is the tail that's wagging the dog as far as promotion. And, you know, a lot of people think, you know, if I'm on a website, my book's going to be big. That's not necessarily true. Um but one of the things, I, I was just down in Austin, Texas meeting with my my new agent, and what she said to me was, what we really need to do, because she's trying to get my Gabe series into Hollywood and some other things, and she said, what we really need to do is we need to up your, your social media game, because right now, it's pretty weak. And she's right. And because what publishers and people in that industry are looking at right now is, um, what kind of a following do you have? You know, How many likes are you getting? And I mean they, this, this, there's an agent within the agency that I'm with who has actually found five authors in quotes on Instagram. Um, they have a great platform. They have a million followers. They have an idea for a book, but they don't really know how to write a book. So they marry them with somebody who can ghostwrite the book with them. And, um, you know, those, those books, you know, probably going to be bestsellers because they've got a million people that they can tell my book coming out in two weeks, you know, order it now. And if three percent of those people act on it, that's a that's a really nice selling book for the first laydown. Um so I think, you know, and and I'm trying really hard. I, I'm engaging people right now in the social media where i know what what to do because I really don't. Um I'm not a millennial. I don't understand that. Headset. And um so and sometimes, you know, I'll put something on that I think is super funny. Well that doesn't sell anything. It just makes people laugh. Um so I think you know there again it's like having a good editor have somebody who really understands the social media world and um figure out how to build a platform because that you know my agent must have said 25 times platform in her conversation with me mm-hmm. um they want a platform and you know so I said well you know I have a pretty good anti bullying platform and she said the problem is there's so much noise in that sector um you know there's so many people that are doing anti bullying now now I do it uniquely, but that doesn't mean you know that people are going to mm-hmm. jump on that bandwagon. So, what is the platform? My platform is always humor, and um, you know if you make a if you make somebody laugh, um, everybody mm-hmm. likes to laugh. So, that's an engaging thing to do. But mm-hmm. so I think you know what I, I recommend to anyone who's got a, a book or a book that's you know being born is what what truly is your heart behind it? Why did you write it? Who should read it? And um, and I, you know, I always tell people when when you envision your book, don't just envision it in your imagination. Actually, go down to the Tattered Cover, which is my favorite bookstore, and go into the section where your book will be. Go categorically, you know, by author. However they you know put those books on the shelves, and imagine your book between two books, because that will help you when you pitch it. When you say, you know, my book is going to appeal to people who enjoy. This author, or this author, or this style of work, um, because that makes you, you know, stand stand out. All
1: um, right. And with that said, we are out of time. Justin Matta, my offer to you is: I am really good on social media, and I will show you how to build that. That's my offer that. to you. All right. I'm good. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Happy writing. Happy publishing. And remember, there's always tips and ahas on our shows. Go to our website at um, Book Publishing Podcast. There's over 300 shows to download. We'll see you next week.